Welcome to Advent Christian Voices with the Renewed Church Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Reynolds, and I'm joined with the awesome and amazing and always chipper Justin Nash. We are seeking to lead the discussion while providing practical advice on church health among Advent Christian churches. How are you doing today, Justin? Apparently awesome and amazing and chipper, although I've never been called any of those things. So. What? They, you yeah. hang around the wrong people if they don't call you awesome, amazing, and chipper. You're mm-hmm. always in a good mood, man. I've uh, never been around you where you're like, oh, you're all, you're a perpetual optimist. Uh, well, you obviously don't know me very well. So. Uh, I guess not. So, well, I've had other people tell me that I'm just a, that I'm negative all the time, or I'm a perpetual pu- uh, pessimist, and and that's not truly my nature either. So, yeah, you know, I, put on, I put on a good act, I guess. Yeah, well, well, hey, if you know working at ECGC doesn't work out for you, you could always look for a job in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's as my wife said. I have a face for radio, so. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you're not chipper all the time, huh? Yeah. Well, well, a wife, you know, trying to build you up like that, you know. Yeah. Well, she's just she's just keeping it real, speaking the truth in love. <laughs> Man, my wife tells me how handsome I am all the time. So, but she's also a liar. So, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so we're gonna continue from what we left off with the last time. We have two questions that we're gonna answer. Um, so the first one, Justin, is uh, based on what we talked about last time. Uh, where our AC churches are, most, you know, the vast majority are declining. Uh, we're in, so we talked about last time some the, are the trends of those who are growing. So, what are some trends that you see among the churches that are declining in our denomination? Yeah, so that's a good sort of the flip side. So, to say there's a couple of things, I think at least a couple of things that where churches really haven't necessarily failed in any way. Just the the community around them has changed. Mm-hmm. So you see demographic shifts. A lot of our churches are rural. They're they're not urban or suburban, and you have a lot a lot of of people movement. People moving out of the country, out of those rural settings, into those urban settings, and so you'll have a, a community that was at one time vibrant out in the country and simply is not anymore because no people are there. They've all left. And in a situation like that, it's sad and you minister as best you can, but sometimes you just don't have the critical mass to continue uh, with the church in any kind of significant way because you just don't have the people to support it either through financially or through just ministry. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes churches are victims of something like a demographic shift like that. That's really not, really didn't do anything wrong. It's just things around them changed. I think there's also something, and this is larger than this, just our denomination, but you look at increasing secularization and lowering church attendance. Something we touched on briefly last time was sort of this idea of, of cultural Christianity, which is very prevalent in the South. And one time was prevalent really all over the country, but now you look in the place like the the Northeast or the Pacific Northwest, and it's just not the case. Uh, I've got some friends who has a daughter; they have a daughter that lives in Portland, Oregon, and and they said uh, she was working on Easter Sunday, and she said, "You're not closed on Easter." She says, "It's Easter." I mean, so they they like it just doesn't even resonate out there, and and uh, and so you have that culling off and sort of trimming a lot of the cultural Christians off, which is creating a decline in attendance as well. But I think outside of that, wait, can I, can I just, can I just ask one thing? Is that, and I don't have a definitive answer to this. It's just kind of like a, a developing thought. Is that kind of a good thing? 
know that that this cultural Christianity is going away. That Christendom in America has gone away, and now, now we don't have people who are false convert or, or as many false converts or as many people who have a false sense of security of. Well, I go to church on Sunday, so I must be saved. And I mean, we probably—I st- I know we still have people like that in, in our churches. But um, is this kind of a gut check for the for the church and for us to really be able to assess ourselves and put the gospel first instead of maybe what we've done in the past? Sure, I, I think that's—I think that's a, a great way of understanding and looking at it. it. Is a a pruning, a pruning of the dead, fruitless branches in some ways, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It yeah. doesn't mean it's going to be painless. Yeah. And so we, we just have to kind of keep that in mind. So it's not no the death of cultural Christianity is not a bad thing, but it is going to radically change the the culture of our churches. The the perhaps even the the structure and the forms of our churches mm-hmm. in some really significant ways. And that's not necessarily bad. Yeah. It's particularly not bad for the development of faith. Uh, suffering is a significant part of following Christ. Mm-hmm. And so we really, so no, I don't think it's a bad thing, but it's, it's also not an easy thing or we should, I, I'm not sure it's hard to go. Yay. But yeah. you know, I'm glad this is happening, but it, it can have some really positive effects. There's mm-hmm. no question about that. Yeah. Yeah. So as we think about the churches that are declining, what, again, this is sort of a mirror image, but they're not evangelistic. Mm-hmm. They simply do not have a culture of evangelism. Uh, that's the pastor's job. That's what we pay him for. Mm-hmm. And so they really just don't share their faith. The people in the pews don't share their faith. It, kind of an interesting, this is probably a good topic for another time, but as a pastor, if you want your people to be evangelistic, they will not be if you are not evangelistic. Your people are going to be as evangelistic as you are as the pastor. Mm-hmm. They're going to follow your lead. So Church uh, Lifeway has done some really interesting research on that, and that's one of the number one characteristics of a church with a strong evangelistic culture is the pastor who is very evangelistic. Uh, but you, you see a lot of these churches, a lot of churches that are on de- in decline, and they, whereas the growing, the healthy churches have a go-and-tell mentality, they have a come-and-see mentality. Mm-hmm. And you'll hear things in the churches, which is we don't understand why people don't come. We don't understand why people don't stay. And so basically what they're doing is they're blaming unchurched people for not, right? That's what they're doing. They're Mm -hmm. blaming their community for not wanting to be a part of their church. Because that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but that's how we think. (laughs) I said that tongue in cheek, yeah. Right, right. And I hear that. I hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. And so churches that are not evangelistic, are not healthy. Mm-hmm. Evangelism is central to the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's the great commission, right? I mean, it's make disciples. That's our primary command from Jesus before he left. Mm-hmm. And so when we're not being faithful to that. Our churches are not going to be healthy. So, or, on the, or on the flip side of that, you know, they're, they're thinking, some might say, well, what's wrong with us? What if we, you know, what if we just change our worship style of music? You know, if we get, if we, get someone who's like a killer guitarist, some good voices and someone that can help teach people how to play these instruments. And we just completely do that. Then people are going to come to our church because, you know, uh, that's the other, you know, we're not going to change anything else. That's just what we're going to do. Right. Right. Well, you also need, uh, if you can afford it, lasers and fog and, uh, one of those 
uh, palettes for a background. You know, Do you have any idea how much easier it is to experience the Holy Spirit when there's fog coming out when someone's singing? Right, well, it's, 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 it's like Pentecost. Uh, but, but again, you understand that. I think what you're hitting on is something really key there is it is a come and see mentality. If we put on a good enough show, people want to come. The problem with that, of course, is is that at the end of the day, you cannot out-entertain the world. Mm. They're going to be better at it every single time. You, you, can't, be, you can't beat Disney World, right? Right, you can't. You can't yeah. beat Disney World. You cannot beat them because they're excellent at what they do, and they are able to appeal to the natural man in a way that if the church is being faithful, it will never be able to do. Yeah. Amen. Right. And, and so they have this come and see mentality when churches get locked in that groove, it's deadly. It really is. It is not about why aren't people coming? The question is, why aren't we going? Mm-hmm. Like that's the question people need to ask. So what we see in a lot, a lot of churches that are declining. And if you look statistically, 80 to 85% of all churches in the United States and Canada are either in a state of decline or plateaued. Mm -hmm. So are are growing at a rate slower than the communities in which they're located. Mm -hmm. So what that says is that the population is growing around them, but the church is shrinking. Mm -hmm. Something's not happening evangelistically there. People aren't sharing their faith and they're not. And that's just going to kill the church because it's being not faithful to the great commission. Yeah. Kind of another thing that's related to that is when churches are growing, that they're these a lot of these churches, their growth comes primarily or only through transfer growth. And I think, I don't know, around here, I don't know how it is up north because it's a little bit different context culturally. But what we'll see around here is every once in a while, we'll have sort of the really hot church, right? It's this church. Just really starting to boom and really elevation, starting to bust. Elevation in your area, right? Uh, well, yeah. I mean that that's a good example of one here. Um, but we've water had a couple even water slide baptism. Yeah, let's not get that rumor started again. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, but so like even in, in in my community, about five minutes from my house, there is a and it's a good church. I mean, it's a great pastor, very biblical. Uh, it's a big, it's a big church and it's growing, you know, they're probably 18, 1900 people on a Sunday morning now, three oh services, goodness. but they, but I bet you three quarters of that congregation or more two, three years ago were, were members of some other church and two, three years before that, they were members of some other church. Yeah. They, they you see a lot of, again, is, this is maybe this be cultural to the South, but you see a lot of kind of call them church hoppers or church shoppers, people who will go anywhere and they, they get their, their buzz for a little while and then they see something better and they go to that. Mm-hmm. And so churches, because a lot of times, especially when you get in maybe new leadership, a new pastor, or maybe even you change your worship style or something like that and it's more attractive to people initially, then – yeah, you'll see a you'll see a large influx of people, but at the end of the day, that turns out to be they're they're going out the back door as fast as they're coming in the front door. At the end of the day, and you're worse off than you were and you, ten years later. You're worse off than when you started. So you, you see a lot of a lot. If your growth is coming primarily through transfer growth, watch out because that mm-hmm. that's a that's a bad sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, next, 
again, this is a flip side, but churches are not engaged in their communities. They simply aren't there. And I think you brought up a really interesting point earlier uh, about, I guess when you're talking about Oak Hill, what we see a lot is that because there have been and a lot of times demographic shifts and a lot and a lot of times like around here that'll even be sort of ethnically the community has changed whether it's uh, become we have a fairly large hispanic population and so you've seen some shifts there and and so what you see is is that People stay in the church, but they don't live in the community anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we'll have people who drive 20 or 30 minutes to get to a church. Well, mm-hmm. they can't minister in that community. They don't live there. They don't know the people. They're not neighbors with the people. And and so that's really an issue. Um, now, there are ways to do it, of course, but it requires a lot more intentionality when you live far away like that. Yeah. And, and it really has to become a part of your culture to say, okay, we're going to reach the community. Now, how are we going to do it? Yeah, And that's one of my pet peeves when I, when I talk about ecclesiology or, or that's a, just a fancy name for, for the doctrine of the church is that I think people who are living that far away and maybe you're in a community where it's, where it's common to drive 30 minutes away for something, you know, you have to drive 30 minutes to go to the grocery store. Okay, that makes sense that you're part of a church that's 30 minutes away. But in other communities where your nearest grocery store is five minutes down the road and all your shopping is done within five to 10 minutes, but your church is 45 minutes away, you're only administratively part of that church. You are not really part of that body of Christ because at 45 minutes away or a half hour away, how much can you really be part of one another's lives? Now I could be wrong. And there are probably some instances where that works out well. And I'm not, I don't want to take away from that, but for the most part for, for Joe Christian or Josephine Christian, uh, I mean, we are, our natural inclination is to stay closer to home. So though you're called to reach the people in the community in which you live and work, God has a call in your life. He's given you a vocation of, you know, maybe you're a police officer or maybe you are a doctor or a janitor at a, at a school and live in that town, work in that town and be the church in that town. Like be part of a church in that town so that you can best serve the community and be a better gospel witness. And one of my pet peeves are people that will just, you know, I live an hour away, but I'll come to church on Sunday, but I can't do anything else. And I can't blame them. You know, can you really blame someone to say, well, I can't really go to, to, uh, you know, a community group or, or small group or whatever your local church might call them. I can't be part of one another's lives, uh, because I live so far away. Well, praise God for your honesty, but maybe we can help you find a church that can, you can thrive in and that's in part of your local community. Yeah, it really, it, it is, it can be an issue for sure. So I, I think it's just what kind of an interesting little exercise that churches can do. Maybe, maybe if you're a pastor of a church, this is an interesting exercise. Is and you can do it with Google Maps. It's an easy way to do it. Is just put the map of your of your where the church is and do. I depending on where you are, a urban context, you could be it would be smaller than a rural context, but create a radius to say three to five miles, mm-hmm. and then take your members addresses and stick a pin in that map and see how many of them actually live in that radius 
Yeah. And an urban community is different. The radius is much, much smaller. Like in, a, in an urban community, one of the things you look for is like how many people can walk to church, right? That's if you, if you, if half your congregation can walk to church, you're doing all right. Yeah. You're, you're, you're engaged in your, in your community. And um, so you know, the transfer growth is going away. But they, but really, how, what's the, the point of view? Does, what's the mentality though? When you see, do people, think that really at the end of the day do they act and really it's not what they say it's how they act do they act like the community exists to serve the church mm-hmm. um and that kind of again and we've sort of hit on this a little bit this final point is they don't reflect the communities in which they're located and that was this, your story hit that perfectly earlier uh, the community changes but the people don't yeah. well there's no reason to think you're going to reach the community I, like i know of one church that literally has three people in it three and it's a great facility in a vibrant neighborhood but all three people are old and caucasian and the community is fairly diverse primarily hispanic around them and to their credit at least they're i think leasing their space out to a hispanic ministry so who's reaching the community go figure right that church is, is is doing all right so Again, you, you if you don't reflect your community, you're not going to reach your community, and and again, that may mean some hard decisions. That may even mean going. You know what? We've we've put a lot of heart and soul and sweat and money and tears into this ministry, but the best course of action for us would really be to give it away. Mm-hmm to give it to somebody who can reach these people in this community because we can't do it because we're just culturally the, the gaps too big. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's a challenge and how do you do that? And, and there's, there's lots to consider. And, but if you don't reflect your community, generally as a rule, you're not, the church is not going to be very healthy and it's ultimately not going to be alive very long. Yeah. So, what would your recommendation be or, or what would the first step be for a pastor? Cause largely it's going to be the pastor who notices these things uh, more often than not first, at least what, what would your recommendation be for him as he notices the church is declining? I think the first thing is to be honest mm-hmm. and, and admit it. Um, you know, we had, a Chris says we've been going around and sort of sharing some of these statistics more widely with the denomination, uh, we actually had a pastor say, well, you can make statistics say anything you want them to say. Well, <laughs> well, okay. um, All right. maybe, but, I, you know, it's hard to paint some of these, you know, to, to spin some of these in a positive direction. But a lot of times it, it just is, you know, what's that, the, what's the saying, the first step to getting help is admitting you have a problem yeah. kind of thing. And it's just to be honest and say, look, we're, we're just not in a good place. We're not healthy. Mm-hmm. And we're not being fruitful. We're not being faithful. We're not being what God has called us to be. And and so we need to figure out why that is. Yeah. And and so the first step is just, is just stepping back and going, all right, there's a problem. And that's hard sometimes because we all have blinders. We all have blind spots. And I, th- I think because there's so much personal investment and a feeling of personal responsibility, a lot of times – there's maybe an unwillingness, maybe not conscious, but unconscious to sort of 
face the brutal facts of the situation. So I think number one, just be honest. That's that's really really important. Uh, number two, take ownership of it, but not responsibility for it. Now that's related. A lot of times, what happens is there'll be decline, serious health issues in the church, and it is always somebody else's fault. Mm-hmm. Right. It's always, well, if so-and-so was better, or if this person 10 years ago had to done this, or if this pastor 15 years ago had to done that, don't do It's not useful. It's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Take ownership. Like it, like whether it's your fault or not, whether it's your, just, just take ownership of it and say, okay, yeah. this is, this is ours. This is where we are. Okay, how do we move forward now? The, the the goal is not to place blame. The goal is to accurately diagnose and figure out a correction. But at the same time, particularly for the pastor, when you're taking ownership, don't take blame. <laughs> don't take responsibility. Don't feel like it's all on you to fix, because that's one of the problems. And I think I probably could have included this in unhealthy churches. This idea of pastor as employee or pastor as CEO, that the pastor gets a salary to do ministry in the church and to to lead the church and and to be the church and, and all these different things. Well, that's never I, I don't think anyway that that's at all the, the biblical picture. I don't think it's all, all at all the biblical model. The Ephesians fourth pastor equips the saints for the work of ministry. So it's about it's about community. If you look at the 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 epistles in the New Testament, um, then you know I don't know if you ever noticed, but most of them are written to groups, right? They're not written to individual people generally. There's a few, but most of them are written to, to churches, to groups of people, and so we have to understand, particularly leaders, particularly pastors, that it's not all on you to fix. But at the same time, you have to own it like you're like you're the one that, that got them there. And that's the way to move forward is to own it, to not blame, to assess honestly and try to move forward. Yeah. So and then finally, I'd say this is just the final thing in in some ways. This is the problem that I almost hate to say it because it sounds so cliched, but it's so, so true is that we have to pray. We have to pray and we have to recruit others to pray. Without prayer, there will be no revitalization mm-hmm. in your church. Let me just tell you right now, if, you're, if your church is not praying and really laying yourself out before God, you're not going to be a very healthy congregation. You're not going to be, particularly if you're in a revitalization situation, is not going to happen. And I'm not just talking about, you know, five minutes once a week. I'm talking about every day for a while. It's a significant part of the even the services of the church and the ministry of the church, meeting together, prayer and fasting and those sorts of things to seek God, to seek His His the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the correction of the Holy Spirit. And I'd suggest that you you pray in kind of three for three particular things, at least at the beginning, uh, that the church would have the eyes to see any sin that might actually be the cause of the decline and the unhealth. The reality is, while some churches are victims of demographic shifts or whatever, most churches are unhealthy and declining because they're disobedient. Mm. 
So most churches are unhealthy or declining, or declining because they're disobedient. Is there they're anything particular that you, that you have found that is a common sin within the church? A common well, way that I, yeah, they're yeah. I mean, they're not fulfilling the Great Commission. Like mm. that's to be disobedient. That was not a suggestion. It was a central command, and so many of our churches and church members simply and I'm look I'm I'm guilty, so I'm including myself in this. But we do not share the gospel. We do not seek to make disciples the way we want to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our churches, even churches that would that may even outwardly appear evangelistic, they're about getting converts. They making disciples is not really on their radar. They don't even know what that is. Mm-hmm. And so I think even that's a primary disobedience in a lot of churches that they simply don't share the gospel. And there can be other things. I mean, there can be you, you see a particularly in healthy churches, you see a lot of a lot of disunity, mm-hmm. you see a lot of cliquishness, a lot of silos, a lot of selfishness. So any of those things, I mean there there could even be other sin. I mean, so it could be things, sexual sin. Mm-hmm. There can be, you know, I, I've known uh, churches that they had uh, one of their primary leaders was just about as just as crooked as you could be in business, and it just beat everybody out of tons of money. And yet he was a respected leader in the church. Well, that church didn't do well mm-hmm. because there was no. There was no righteousness in the leaders, so what? It, I don't know what it's going to be, and it's going to could potentially be different for every church in some ways. But we have to honestly say, Lord, search us, try us, know us, and show us if there's any sin in us. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. Now, I'm not saying that every church is declining because of sin. I'm just saying it's true a lot of times. Yeah, and so we need we need the eyes to see that. I think another thing we want to pray for eyes to see are. What are the opportunities God's putting in front of us? What are we missing? Mm-hmm. You know, what's what's right there in front of us that we're just not seeing? Mm-hmm. What's a, a mission field or a ministry opportunity that because we're sort of so myopic and so turned inwardly so much that we're not seeing what's right in front of us? And ask God to open our eyes to that. And then finally, I th- and, and all these are kind of hard, and this one particularly is ask God to, to really guide us and show us where and how the church needs to change in order to be healthier, in order to be more fruitful, to be more faithful. Mm-hmm. Where do we need to change? What do we need to do differently? And to be willing to do that and to be willing to do those things once he shows it. So for me, that that, that would be the first three steps. You know, Be honest about it, take ownership of it, and pray, 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 pray. So. That's pretty good, man. I figure your first step would be to to call Justin Nash and have him come down and do an assessment of your church. But well, no, it's, I mean, if people want to do that, that's great. That was a little tongue in cheek. Yeah, yeah, no, no, but I think it's a it's an interesting point that you bring up in terms of the on the question of honesty. Sometimes an outside set of eyes can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't have to be somebody from the denominational office. It could be a friend who's a pastor from somewhere else. It could just be a friend who's from somewhere else just to say, Hey, would you just come sit down with me and sit down with our leadership and just talk through some things with us? Cause, mm-hmm. because we all have blind spots and that outside set of eyes can be so powerful sometimes. Yeah. And and again, it can just be, it could be anybody really. Yeah. 
and and so that can be a really helpful tool in trying to assess just how sick are we and and where do the problems lie. It'd be really helpful. Yeah, there is. You know, I read a book last year by what's his name? I'm, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. I forget if his name is Todd or Ted, but it's only with one D, so it shouldn't be hard. It's either Todd or Ted Bolzinger, uh, and it's called Canoeing the Mountains. And Yeah, I read that book. Yeah. Okay, so the great thing about that book that I realized was that he, he really helps the reader realize that pastors and leaders of churches have not been trained for a non-Christendom culture, meaning um, what we've been trained for in Bible college and seminary has been uh, to preach, study God's word, and to shepherd some people. But really the focus has been, hey, people are just going to come into the church. There's there's not really been a lot of trying to help uh, future pastors learn how to lead a church through revitalization or, or renewal, whatever you want to call it, or help diagnose those, you know, when a, when a church is, is sick or declining, or how to better reach the community in a non-Christendom world. So... I'd recommend that book. Uh, would you recommend that to, to folks? I mean, there are whole other books. Yeah, uh, I mean, there are other books I'd right, recommend. It's Todd. is the guy's first name. It's not Ted. Okay. It's Todd. And he's the president of uh, Fuller Seminary, I think, now. I know he worked at Fuller. I didn't think he was the president. Is he the pre- anyway. Oh, well, I don't know. Yeah, it has nothing to do with Fuller. But uh, <laughs> anyway... Uh, um, so, you know, it's, it's a fine book for the, of course, the metaphor he uses is Lewis and Clark, yeah. and that's where the canoeing the mountains comes from. And, and so he does a pretty good job of, of weaving that in. He's actually got some pretty, there's, there's some things in that book that are really, really profound and insightful. There's a couple of things that I, I thought, man, he just crushed that. So yeah, it's, it's a good book. I, I would recommend it. Yeah. And I think it just helps expose in us, um, in us, our realization that, you know, we aren't, uh, uh, you know, we aren't, uh, we don't have all the answers. And really, if our hope doesn't rely on Christ in, in the gospel and the work of the gospel and the work of the spirit as, as the spirit applies the gospel message uh, to folks, our churches aren't going to grow. Um, and we can't just simply focus on the external things, but, uh, you know, okay, if I get a smoke machine in my worship service, we're going to be able to experience the Holy spirit more. That's not the case, but it's not, it's, I mean, I know you are a disciple of Stephen Furtick. So you think that that is the, how you get more people in, but uh, it's not, you know, so um, that's not how we're going to experience, you know, the Holy spirit. But, I, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that, there are some external things that I think we have mentioned. We we're talking about Disney world before and how they just, they have a high level of excellence and they think through a lot of details. I'm a details guy. I love thinking through that stuff and, and that's important as well. But ultimately we could get all the details, right? We could do everything that you and I would suggest would be helpful in creating a new culture within the church. All of that can happen. And Still, no one come to Christ uh, in our community simply because God has not ordained it for for whatever purpose. Um, but we can pray for each other's churches. We should be able to pray for the the Methodist church down the street that is preaching the gospel. And not all Methodist churches are. I'm not saying that, but we should be able to preach for for other denomination or pray for other denominations and other pastors that we know, and say, hey, 
you know, God work in them, you know, continue to be faithful or, or have them continue to be faithful to you in what they're preaching and doing, um, as well as for our own churches. So. Yeah, no, yeah, I agree. And uh, if you're again, that goes back to that kingdom mindedness until we can celebrate and praise God and thank God for the work he's doing in other churches. We're not ready for it in our church yet. Right. Until yeah. until we can praise God for revival in another church, we're not ready for revival in ours. Amen. Yep. Amen. So, all right. Well, that concludes uh, that can includes this episode of the Renewed Church podcast. Thanks for joining us, and uh, Justin, as always, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, enjoyed it. Take care. All right, you too.